I think that I was still so angry about how things had worked out coming out of the recession and me not receiving, not receiving. I mean, I sound so like such a millennial, me not receiving the job that I deserve. <laughs> hey, friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. Here at the Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design the life that you want to live. Today's conversation is with Heather Joelle Bonaparte. She is the writer of Our Tiny Rebellions Substack newsletter. According to her Substack bio, she is a lawyer, an author, and a mom of two little girls. She is also the wife and business partner of Douglas Bonaparte, a millennial finance expert whose brand she helped build from inception. During her first maternity leave, they co-authored The Millennial Money Fix, what you need to know about budgeting, debt, and finding financial freedom. I recently stumbled across Heather's work off of Twitter and was really interested in diving into some topics around ambition, writing her newsletter, and loud quitting as she left a job and uh, was kind of vocal about it um, in her transition. And this was just a really great conversation, Um, a lot of laughs, a lot of deep and reflective thoughts, and I'm excited for you to learn from it. As always, this episode with Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can also subscribe to my Substack newsletter called Portfolio Career. You can also sign up for my free podcasting course. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Heather. What, um, what do you love about writing your newsletter? I love that it gives me an opportunity to write and to give my thoughts like directly to people who want to receive them. Um, I actually have, I mean, I've loved to write on the side for years. I've written essays that have gotten published. I've worked on a book project that's still like collecting dust in a, in a back corner of my office, um, hoping to dust off. And I put so much time into that for so long. And I had this moment um, in the middle of the pandemic actually, where I thought to myself, is anyone ever going to read this? And Mm. I was working so hard on those projects and they meant so much to me. And I said to myself, well, what is most important to me? And it's people actually getting to see and hear what I have to say. And that's what it's really always been about. And that's what led me to go to law school as well. Um, You know, dialing it way back. And all, all I really wanted was to connect with people and for them to hear what I have to say and for them to then tell me in response what they feel about what I had to say. Like, I just want to be a part of the discussion and to create a space, especially for women, where they feel like we're um, we're discussing issues that matter to them and, and things that might have been overlooked. Okay. Um, and so it's called Our Tiny Rebellion. And yes. um, is there a current uh, tiny rebellion that you're thinking about? I mean, every week there is a million little wins and losses that make up our week. That's that's kind of where this came from, right? Is is trying to dive a little bit deeper into the mundane, the mundane like minutia of our day to day, and like what what lessons can we glean from them? What can we learn from them? And it was interesting. I know we were chatting before about um, shoes. I started painting shoes as a hobby. Um, early, it, it, this was like another pandemic hobby. Everybody else was like, you know, making bread. Sourdough, I, mean, I, yeah. I, I made a little bread too, not going <laughs> to lie. But I started painting these sneakers and immediately everyone was like, oh my God, you have to launch a business. 
do, do I have to launch a business? And I, and that kind of, that thought, this thought of me sitting here painting these shoes as like a craft in my basement kind of like spiraled into this idea of like, people should be allowed to have hobbies. So I started kind of, you know, expanding upon that thought about not everything good must be sold. And what should we go through? Like what, what thought process, how should we critically think about what we want to, what we would, what reasonably we should try and take to market or not. And so it's interesting you said that because recently I did sell a pair of shoes and I thought to myself, I could do one or two of these a month. And I kind of like revisited this idea. So even the tiny rebellions like that we've deep dived before, like you're allowed to change, you're allowed to evolve and your opinion about something might change. That's kind of been at the forefront of my mind this week. Yeah. Stay tuned to the next edition um, to see yeah, if that manifests, yeah, TBD, if it manifests in there. <laughs> um, but you mentioned about this kind of the, the path and, and wanting to be involved in the discussion and stuff. And um, you initially wanted to be a journalist, right? Yes. I went to college uh, for journalism and I did the whole summer in New York City and turned at the big magazine, like, you know, a little like Anne Hathaway vibe in Devil Wears Prada. Not quite, not quite as glamorous. I did a, uh, I did canoe in the Hudson River though. Ooh. They kind of like dumped me off there as an intern. That was interesting. Um, <laughs> not glamorous. Um, but so yes, I did want to be a journalist. Um, and I had, uh, I did this, very prestigious program um, for our college in Ecuador, where I studied there for a couple of weeks. And it was kind of this like game-changing experience for me, um, not necessarily for the better. Um, I kind of felt in that moment, I don't know if it was the culture shock of the experience of what I did when we were there, um, because I'd never really done anything like that, but I just kind of felt like I came up short. Mm. And I came home thinking to myself, like, if this is what a career in journalism looks like, like, maybe I'm not cut out for it. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe I'll never like I, I kind of had like a like a bit of a panic. And it and it kind of set me. It, it's crazy to think that this trip that was supposed to be like this penultimate moment of my like collegiate career, at least, you know, that I had worked towards for four years would actually like set me off into another direction but it did and that was kind of like the deciding factor of going to law school because I said you know what I'm a good writer but I can use my words in a different way and maybe I could really um there's other ways to use my words to effectuate change um and that was what led me to law school instead can you take us if, if you feel comfortable can you take us to that moment like what 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 was really going on in Ecuador what um, well, so it was a it was a journalism program and we were all kind of tasked with with like coming up with our stories when we were there. And some of my classmates, um, I, I don't know if it's because they were braver than I was or just had experienced more in their lives than I had to that point. I mean, I wasn't very well traveled as a as a young adult um, and as a kid. I spent most of my vacations going to Florida, <laughs> visiting my grandparents. I had never done anything like this. Um, and to be like left um, to kind of my own devices with a translator and to kind of go around and try and connect with people. I mean, I had a classmate who was like sleeping on the floor of a women's jail to like hear the stories. Like I, I, I couldn't mm -hmm. do that. I like went to the downtown and like spent the week with a guy weaving blankets. Like I, 
I mean, I tried my best to write the most beautiful story I could, but like, I just felt like this was supposed to be like this pivotal moment in my, like, per, like this jump start of my professional yeah. career. And I, I was like too afraid. And I was maybe came home a little bit like ashamed. Like, not that I, I didn't, I won't go as far as to say that I shat the band, but it kind of felt in my mind, like I, like I did. And I was already thinking about, um, like law school was kind of in the back of my mind in that moment. And I kind of came home and I just said, nah, like this is, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pivot from this because if this is what it's going to be, like, maybe I'm just not cut out for it. And I don't, I don't think that that was true. I think that I came home with like a little bit of just chip on your shoulder, a, ch a chip on my shoulder and maybe some disappointment. Yeah. In, in myself. And I just, it was like a fight or flight moment mm. and I fled, um, into what I thought, what I thought would be a safer mm. option. What I thought would be like, and I think too, when you're a young person, um, at least generationally, like I'm in my late thirties. So maybe like for me, there was this notion back then, this narrative of like, continue your education. <laughs> like, like when in doubt, if you don't know what you're doing, like just keep investing in yourself, continue, spend another $200,000. It'll be fine. And you'll come out with something that'll, that'll certainly set you on the right path. And I think that like that idea of like, well, maybe another degree will not only help me figure out what to do, but like, maybe that will make people take me seriously. Like mm. if, you know, it's just, I think that, I mean, I hope, I hope now that that narrative is shifting for um, prospective students and people younger than us, than me. Um, but that was definitely, that was definitely the story at the time. Yeah. And I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. Well, and it seems like you're, you know, helping provide information and insights and sharing your story like this to help that um, yes. You know, the prior, the up and coming generation, et cetera. Um, and so then you went to law school and then you went, and then you went into corporate law. Um, and it sounds like you said that you wanted to be a part of like the discussion and you wanted to influence and. Well, yeah. So I did, go, <laughs> I did go to law school for the reasons that I, that I set forth. Um, but I went to law the year, the year was to, I feel like Homer's not Homer Simpson, grandpa, the grandpa in the Simpsons. When he, do you ever see the meme where he's sitting around and the kids are sitting all around and he's the year was 2007. <laughs> I don't know that one exactly, but I, I, I like, I can, I can visualize it. I got, the year I, was 2007. I'm, I'm following it. Yeah. The future was in front of me. I could, I could become a lawyer and I was going to get my big fancy my big fancy white shoe job. I could keep it for a couple of years, figure out what I want to do with it and then do what I set out to do, which was go and effectuate change and try and um, become a lawyer uh, in, in a practice area that I was passionate about and I could really make a difference in people's lives. That's not what happened. Um, the Great Recession happened. Banks collapsed <laughs> and uh, financial institutions, uh, you know, um, were unstable and uh, on-campus interviews got canceled and uh, my entire law class fought for jobs that and fought for internships. And um, it was not a pretty scene. It was a cutthroat, tough, tough scene. And mm. um, so I was lucky to have any job at graduation. I didn't go to school saying, I want to spend 12 years in the insurance industry. That was just what happened. Um, and, and you know what, and I, and I'm proud. It's not like I, it's not like I 
say, oh, it was all terrible. I mean, I, I, I'm proud of the work I did. And I actually feel like I've learned a lot about concepts and about the law and about I've worked at companies that actually can make a difference in businesses in businesses and um and people's lives but that was not the plan no that was not the plan yeah it just kind of happens and I was lucky to be employed lucky to be employed and then and you stuck with it for a while wrote a book uh I while, did yeah the and... millennial money fix which I wrote on maternity leave um with my with my husband um who's a financial advisor um, on my first on my first paternity leave uh, from my first corporate job after I was in private practice, and that's and that's how you, and that's how you kind of really started getting into this topic around financial management. Well, so when we started, I mean, my my husband basically started his financial planning practice for millennials that were like me, people that were in my exact situation where. We had kind of been sold a different bill of goods than what we were receiving. And we were starting our professional lives, like most of us, in the red. Like we we were underemployed, underpaid, trying to make good uh, in a workforce that wasn't really re- ready for us. Um, and and there was like major gen- a generational divide. Um, and we just feel like we weren't being heard. And, and from his standpoint, we weren't being invested in invested in from a sentiment standpoint, invested in professionally, invested in financially in terms of his his um, profession, which was financial advising. So he began to invest in young people who had, and help us figure out how to how to um, how to refinance our debt, how to manage our cash flow with what we had and balance and and reprioritize our goals. And so when we sat down and just started talking about like, how did we get here? Not like Mm -hmm. us, but how did our generation get here? And we started um, really doing a deep dive into um, the problems with our uh, higher education system and the cost of education. Um, And so I kind of was like the cautionary tale. Like the book is about me. (laughs) I mean, like like she would call me the muse and I call me the cautionary tale. (laughs) Like the book was originally called The Millennial Problem and I'm mm. the problem. So, <laughs> so Awkward. We, that's, that's not weird at all. Um, but so we, what was interesting was we started writing this book when I was pregnant because it's funny to say, like it's kind of messed up to say, because I had more time when I was pregnant and when I was out, when I was out on leave, we had the time to do it. But when we started doing this, like it was very cathartic for me to kind of like, own the truth. Like I'd created all these reasons why this had happened. And a lot of them like were just me trying to like cope with how I got here and not really like owning, owning it and not really like digging into it. I mean, and so that was such a freeing experience. It was so crazy to me that like, I always wanted to be a writer and me writing about the financial mistakes that I made in going to law school was going to be my first major break as a writer, selling this book and being a published author at 30 years old with a one month old baby. I mean, like I could have never <laughs> like imagine, like it's like, it was like a weird moment. Yeah, it was, it was weird. It was weird, yeah. but great. And you're able to get, yeah, you were able to flex the the writing muscle and stuff. And um, yeah, and that was the first and time. It sound, yeah, and it sounds like, Maybe there's a second book project or. There might, there, 
There will be other book projects for sure. There's, there's, there's a lot of different, a lot of different angles we can go uh, moving forward. But yeah, that was really the first time that I said to myself, like, I mean, I always knew this was what I wanted to do, but I just never really saw my career as dynamic as it was in that moment. Like Mm -hmm. I knew I was going back to my job, my nine to five after my maternity leave, we were not in a financial position for me to not return to my job but I was also working on this book. I was also going to you know, have to edit. People don't talk about the whole second process, which is editing the book, the editorial process, promoting the book. All of that happened when I was back at work, like in my back at my corporate job. Um, and my career suddenly became so much more dynamic than it was mm. before. It's not black and white. Like it's not, oh, I can just hope that I could someday get a break and leave my job. Like, it was, it's a sliding scale, you know, like I was very fortunate at the time when I was doing all of this to be in a corporate role in that moment that was not as demanding of me from a time standpoint. And I kept the job for that reason. Like I didn't push for the promotion. I didn't go after a a, a more complicated or challenging role because I knew that that was like, I was investing my excess time in something that I was really passionate about. Um, Like you said, a personal project you're passionate about. Yeah. Well, um, before we kind of keep going on that thread, there was something that in an essay that you wrote uh, titled, I quit my job, uh, not my ambition. Um, There was a line in there that uh, really kind of, it's really powerful. Um, And I'm going to make sure that I get it right. Uh, But it says something like, it didn't take long for me to believe that I was worthless beyond what I was worth at work. Um, and it sounds like, you know, you were able to find and finding now a lot more meaning, et cetera, while you were working on the side and personal projects on the side, et cetera. But that line will, and it sounded like you were kind of working in law and felt like kind of stuck. In the years before we had written the book, I think that I was still so angry about how things had worked out coming out of the recession and me not receiving, not receiving. I mean, I sound so like such a millennial, me not receiving <laughs> the job that I deserve. <laughs> but really like um, me not embarking on a career that I had planned to, mm. and I had such a chip on my shoulder and I worked, I turned everything into like a life or death scenario for work. I wanted to be the best. I mean, I was like, I was hungry AF, like, and situations that didn't warrant it. And I realized it just came from a place of trying to overcompensate for like the pain and anger that I still felt inside about everything. Not just, not just what happened. I mean, I I can't control the economy and the fact that that happened. That was beyond my control, but it was my choice to go to such an expensive law school and put myself in student loan debt to the point that I didn't have the flexibility to have taken maybe a lower paying job that was in a practice area I wanted or to take some risks and and see what I could do sooner. I mean, I really felt stuck for a long time. So I leaned into it because I felt like that was like, like you are stuck, like you've bought into this, like you have to buy into this. This has to be your personality. You have no choice. Mm. Like work has to be your personality because this is all you're going to have time to do. Um, And you're stuck here financially. 
So that's, that's kind of how I felt that way. And it was like, I just threw myself into it. I mean, and I don't know if it was, it, it, that piece was interesting because I, there were times in that piece that I felt like it was having a child that changed mm. me. And there's times that I feel like it was writing the book that changed me, but they happened at the same time. So we'll never really know. <laughs> Could have been a little bit of both. <laughs> but it, it, And it sounds like that, that your, your perspective on ambition has changed, right? At that moment, it was all about ambition in the job. And that was the only kind 100%. of, yeah. And how, do you, and how do you kind of think about ambition now? I think that ambition needs to be like decentralized, right? Like from your job, because I think that there's so much more to life than work. And mm. if anything, the last couple of years have taught us it's that. I mean, and I feel like what's crazy is the things that I've, ambition is is a, it comes from within, right? I mean, it's, it, 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 there's this mental fortitude, right? And passion, it's, it's a combination of mental fortitude and passion. Why can't you pour that into something else that makes you just as fulfilled, if not more? And I think like, what's interesting is that people don't realize is like, if you put that time and energy into other things that you enjoy, it may actually make you a better employee. It may make you better at work. The fact that you um, can be ambitious volunteering for a cause that you really feel passionate about, you can bring those skills back to the job. It's fluid. Like I, like me being a good mom to my daughters makes me a better employee at work and being a good employee at work makes me a better mom to my daughters. Like it's a fluid, it's just a lot more dynamic than um, how that term has been used in the past. And I think that the more people that view it that way, the more support we would receive in the workforce um, to kind of pursue those things and to build a more well-rounded employee. When we say, yeah, I'm on, I'm ambitious here and I'm ambitious there. It's just, yeah. All those pieces make up the whole, you know? Yeah. Well, sharing your story here uh, will help. Um, Definitely. And yeah, I really like this idea. I think I learned it from Steve Schlafman, uh, this idea around holistic ambition. Mm which is ambition in all these different areas of your life. I like that. It's true. That makes sense. Yeah. So you realized you had your first child, you wrote the book, started to feel differently. Um, and But you were still were working in corporate law. And then... Quite some time, yes. After quite some that. time. Yeah. I actually took on more challenging jobs. Um after that in in-house uh like in general counsel type roles um because i, I mean i wasn't i wasn't done yet. <laughs> you know i mean like i i i wasn't i i don't think i i would have even considered leaving at that time um but the shift did begin then yes yeah and then you have recently left uh in, in a phrase that i think you really been talking about is called loud quitting um and Talk to us about, it seems like, you know, it wasn't, the job was doing okay. And I think sometimes we quit or we make change when we're forced upon us. And I think what I'm, what I'm seeing or what I'm reading or what I'm sensing is like, uh, there was a little bit of a, a nudge, so to speak, but it'd been kind of brewing for a little while and you'd been already kind of preparing for it. Um, and then you, you left and, and now 
you know, moved on to doing something else. Can you talk to us about kind of the loud quitting and that kind of how potentially being encouraged to go to the office uh, made uh, made you make a decision? Well, I think that, you know, I mean, if you if, if someone were to go back and read the pieces that I've written about work, like in my in our tiny rebellions over the last like two to two years, like our tiny rebellions is about to turn two years old next week. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> I think that uh, if you go back and read it, you can kind of see the evolution <laughs> of when I write about work. You can see me getting like saltier and saltier about um, like time and I, I write about time and money and about um honoring honoring what we all have been through over mm. the last few years i mean this has not been easy the pandemic started you know my daughter turned one my younger daughter turned one the week that the world shut down you know exactly you know that march yeah. 2020 um so we were my husband and I were juggling a, at the time a four and a one-year-old for the longest time. I mean, and trying to work and keep things afloat. I mean, and and that kind of experience for many reasons um, really just changes your outlook on what's important. I mean, and I was very, very, very lucky that my company at the time was so supportive of us, supportive of me, supportive of the flexibility of the fact that I got a lot of my work done at night. After my kids went to bed, I mean, nobody was, nobody was babysitting me from home, um, you know, trying to, you know, so I really did have that support for a long time, but, you know, as, um, as my husband's brand and business grew, which I've been a part of since day one, not just with the book, but just with everything, um, that's always, I always tell people I had three jobs. I was a mom, I'm a full lawyer, a full-time lawyer by day, and I'm, working at Bonafide Wealth at night with Doug and always helping him with all of his endeavors and growing his practice and his business. And so we always kind of knew that there would be a day that um, that risk would be worth taking me mm. leaving. Like, like we knew that we would reach a point in terms of like the opportunities that we were leaving on the table in terms of his business and in terms of like where we thought it could go and content opportunities through him and merging my, you know, my platform and his platform and my viewpoints and his, that we knew that the moment would come. Um, but you know what's safe and easy? Having a corporate job, even when it's hard, it's still safe. Um, and so I, you know, I kept, kept plugging away. I kept burning it from all, you know, burning the fire from all ends. And you reach a certain point where it's like, I, I mean, I, I, I think I said, I've, I've, this is what I say to everybody. I'm like, I, I probably, if they just let me keep working from home, I probably would have just kept killing myself and doing what I was doing for the next 10 years. I don't know if I would have ever taken the leap if they didn't wake up one day and said, Hey, we want you back. Like now we want you back. Like yesterday. I mean, I saw the offices, they were beautiful. And I was like, they're going to want us back. <laughs> and within like two weeks they did. <laughs> and I just knew, and it just, it wasn't, um, it wasn't something I was willing to do. It wasn't aligned with my life right now. Yeah. Not just, it wasn't just about what I wanted. I mean, we live in the suburbs of New Jersey now, like we lived in the city for 10 years in New York city. And now we live in New Jersey. That commute has not gotten easier. It's gotten harder since the pandemic, like the mm. trains don't work. It could take me up to two hours to get in some days. 
it used to take 45 minutes. I mean, like I could go on and on about the reasons why, but I just knew that it wasn't something that I was willing to welcome back into my life more than a, like, like I would have, I would have done it if it was like once a week or like for, for meetings, if there were important meetings, of course I would always be there or a gathering, of course I would be there, but to go in for the purpose of like swiping my card was just not something I was willing to like welcome back into my life. Like I kind of felt like as a professional, I'd like, I'd like moved beyond that and that it really, it bothered me. So I, and, but, but at the same time, like, I don't say this, it's not an excuse. I view it as a catalyst. I'm thankful that we, you know, I'm not thankful that it happened, but like at the same time, I kind of am like, maybe that, that was like the push that we needed. I mean, to to say like, this is the moment, if we're going to walk away from this moment, then we're not meant to do this together and to like embark on this journey together. And so I did, I mean, and that's, and when I say like, I loud quit instead of quiet quit, I mean, I've been vocal about that. Like quiet quitting is to me, I mean, it's an annoying term and it's kind of like, you know, it's got a very bad, like it's got a really negative stigma, but I guess the idea is that, you know, you uh, can just kind of like languish around in a job and, and, and be salty and, and, you know, just pick things up and put them down and whatever. Um, and, and, and I don't think that I was quiet quitting before I loud quit, but I also wasn't knew that it wasn't, I wasn't, tr- I was never trying to, like, I, I didn't visualize myself as the general counsel of that yeah. company and like, and like really putting myself in there. And so like the, I don't know, like, I, I, I guess I would just say that like loud quitting was me honoring the truth, like mm. in myself and saying like, you know what? thank you. I'm not even going to negotiate this with you about like coming back to the office. Like, because I knew that if I did negotiate, what's, what would happen? Like, okay. Like I, I, it still probably like would lose my upward trajectory in terms of, you know, I, I just said, you know, we're not even going to do this. This was the, this was the, um, catalyst that I needed to realize like that this is the moment to take a risk in my life. And if not now, then I'm, I probably won't. So it's been six months. Six months. Almost. Yeah, about six months. It's been great so far. It's wild. <laughs> when, what do you think the, you mentioned this one part that was fascinating was you may have done this for 10 more years. What do you think that, like, what do you think that says about yourself? I think it says, I think it says a lot. I think it says that um, it reminds me of the reason I went to law school and the reason that I stuck to like, like I did all these things because they were safe and I like took the highest and it wasn't a high paying job, but I took the highest paying job that I got out of school. Um, even though it wasn't what I wanted to do because I was so like worried about being safe and about always having enough and like, and being enough and having it look like enough and Mm. like objectively speaking, there's a lot of people that would never have walked away from the job that I just walked away from. So yeah, like I, and, and I, and I did have a good work-life balance. I mean, I worked hard, but like, and they were giving me what I needed as a person. Um, and I just, and yeah, there's a lot of people that including myself that like, yeah, I, I think like, I don't know if, if the pandemic never happened, like would I have ever walked away from that position? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, like, and it, it is, it was the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I, I could have envisioned myself. And I think I literally said those words to my boss who actually, you know, is my friend. 
Um, and I said, I could have seen myself literally sitting here for another 10 years doing this, but this is the, this is the moment I got to see where it goes. And mm. I'm proud of myself because I've never, I've never done anything like this before. Oh yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to share about the newsletter ambition transition? Transition is not as easy as I, the transition was not as easy as I expected it to be. I thought that, I, I don't know what I thought, but it's really hard not having a roadmap mm -hmm. for your job. Um, that's not something I ever expected. I mean, my husband is like a serial entrepreneur. He is used to this, this chaos. And that's kind of what it is. And I think that there's like, it's, there. every day is different, which is like amazing and it's exciting. But there's also like no structure and you have to create the structure yourself. Mm. So that's something that's been really interesting. Um, and then the other piece of it is, I mean, as a woman and as a mother, there's, um, I found myself projecting a little bit in the first couple months. Um, I was very insecure about what other people thought of me mm. leaving my big corporate law job and going to work with my husband and people thinking that it was a front for me to be a stay-at-home mom and not really work. Mm. I still talk to people who kind of like make comments and they might be like, oh, but you don't really work anymore. And I'm like, and it's, I'm getting much better at not feeling like this visceral need to be like, well, actually I'm busier than I was before. And I like go on, but it's like, there is this weird, I am in like a weird transition period and it shouldn't bother me what people think of me but as a as a woman and an ambitious woman and someone who always struggles with you know I think anybody struggles with what people think of them but especially like at this time in my life um it, that that was something I wasn't expecting um that challenge of not just what people think of me but like how I feel about how I'm perceived like that is very unlike me and so that's been a little bit tough to get over do you think talking about it helps yeah I think so <laughs> I think so and and you know what I also just think just just like oh just owning it like it like it doesn't matter what anybody's reaction is to when I say what I'm doing. Like it doesn't, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. That's hell yeah. So yeah. Cool. Well, if you, um, for people that want to, you know, celebrate the, the newsletter, uh, anniversary and stay in touch and learn more and about sneakers and some other fun stuff, uh, what's the best way that they can do so Heather? Well, you could follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Average Joelle. Joelle's my middle name. Um, or you can subscribe to Our Tiny Rebellions, where you can really get to know me very well. <laughs> and it comes out every week, uh, usually on Fridays. Awesome. Thank you so much, Heather. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, friend. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. 
There, you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.